Hello, and welcome to Breakaway, Leadership for a Sound Mind and Body, brought to you by the University of Michigan Leadership Collaborative, a community dedicated to advancing leadership learning across the university for students who seek to develop and progress as leaders. I'm James McRae, and I'm your guide to this podcast journey. In this series, we are asking you to break away from the norms of your daily routines to explore the challenges that leaders face in developing healthy habits that fuel the mind and body. So I'm inviting you to take this opportunity to do something that you consider physically active while we engage you mentally. In today's episode, Emily Giovanelli, Marsha Benz, and Christina Garazunis discuss how to have productive and compassionate conversations as a student leader. Based on a counseling tool called motivational interviewing, they share skills that you can use individually or with your team. So, are you ready? Let's break away. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Emily Giovanelli, and I'm with Marsha Benz and Christina Garazunas from UHS Wolverine Wellness. Uh, through our discussion today, we're going to be talking about how to have a productive and compassionate conversation as a student leader. If you've been interested in building dynamic and thoughtful conversations within the organizations you join, with your friends, other team members, or more, then this might be for you. Uh, thanks, Emily. So uh, we're excited to be here and we're excited to share some skills that you can use individually or with your team. Some of the information you're going to hear today is based on a counseling tool called motivational interviewing. Um, You can certainly look that up uh, to learn more about it. But for the sake of today, we've adapted it to fit the needs of student leaders um, at the University of Michigan and for this podcast. So this is Marsha. So right now, just take a minute to think. Who was your best and worst mentor? So start out first thinking about who is the worst person who best, you know, worst mentor or or worst teacher even, you know, who is that person and why? What were the characteristics of that person? And it's okay even to jot those down if you want to jot those down. And then when you're done, write down the characteristics of the best mentor or the best teacher that you ever had. And what were those? And you can go ahead and jot those down too. Yeah, so the idea of these kinds of conversations are trying to follow whatever those characteristics are for that best mentor or teacher. So things like, um, you know, being really present with you, uh, being encouraging, not being punishing, including you in problem solving, that kind of stuff. And so that's what motivational interviewing is about, is really looking at people as their own experts on things and then drawing out what they know about themselves to be able to solve problems together. We'll talk about a lot of things, but what we'll be focusing on is um, how to be present how to avoid judgment and how to listen better. And Marsh, while you were while you were sharing that activity, I was thinking about an experience I had with a student um, in, in one of our organizations where when we were talking about these things, 
one day she had this aha moment and said, oh, I get it. It's about being seen, valued, and heard. And so, so, you know, as you, as you, as you think about even that activity or how you can incorporate these types of activities within your group, you know, fall back on that. You know, it's about being seen, valued, and heard. And allowing your members to feel that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so part of what we do is trying to be less prescriptive and more compassionate with others. And we also like to think about how to help um, team members or friends or like Emily was saying, um, within your organization, right, or other folks around you, how to make their own behavior changes that will help enhance group dynamics. Yeah, because nobody likes being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And even if it's something you wanted to do before, once somebody tells you to do it, suddenly you don't want to do it so much anymore, right? So so this is a way of pulling things out instead of kind of foisting things on folks. So um, because of this, I think it leads to less burnout and less stress among leaders because you don't have to be responsible for all the outcomes, right? This is something that everybody's working on together and people have their own volition and they can do things or not. And so you're just making it more likely that people can get things done. And so they're conversations that should make you feel better about the other people, even people that you're kind of working through problems with and will allow them to feel better about you. Right, you know, I was thinking an example, right? In In a group, let's say one of your executive board members said they were going to repeatedly do, um, you know, sign up the organization for something. Um, It sounds completely different when you say, you know, what's getting in the way and you get to hear why someone isn't able to do something or sign up the group versus you didn't sign us up. And we've missed the deadline and, you know, versus, okay, our deadline was this and we weren't able to sign up. Could you tell me a little bit about what got in the way? It's, it, it is more curious. Less accusatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're talking about in terms of avoiding judgment. Right, Marsh? Which is hard, right? It's hard when you're trying to move a team forward. We're not saying that, you know, that that's the end all be all. And um, there are ways to have more um, dynamic conversations. Yeah, because often when we start judging people, we put up a wall, you know, because we feel defensive. And so we want to we want to kind of stand in our own shoes and say, you know, no, this is the way I did it. And this is why. And even if we even had our own ideas about how we should have done it differently, it kind of puts you on the defensive where you feel like you have to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really seems like compassion and flexibility are key components of being a strong leader. And often it can be really difficult to find words to help your team move forward while supporting them. So what are some of the things that you two think about um, in regards to those key components? Yeah, you know, I I think we mentioned a couple of these, but I, I, you know, the things that come to mind are being present. Um, You know, are are you coming to the conversation with your mind being full 
or are you coming to the conversation being mindful right in that moment can't you know in those next two minutes can you enter the conversation in the space uh, not thinking about all the deadlines you have not thinking about the exam you have to take not thinking about the phone call you have to make to your parents um or a fight you might have had with a partner uh, you know can you put that aside for a second and be present um with your teammates be present with your organization uh, in order to to have more of a compassionate or flexible conversation and so when we when i think about the key components i think about that um avoiding judgment we've talked about that being more curious um or not being on the defense like marsh was saying avoiding fixing the issue, um, listening, uh, reflecting what you think you hear. And, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, a big one is affirming strengths. So if you can name you know, a quality that you see in it, someone is consistent um, or someone is um, really thoughtful um, in the group, so, so really thinking about what is that strength that, that you want to share. Um, and then asking for permission when you provide information. So we'll, we'll think about that. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more too. What are some of the ways that you could provide information that are utilizing um, motivational interviewing? Um, you mentioned being present and often talk about being mindful when you're having conversation or leading a team and avoid having your mind full. So what do you, how would you define what it means to actually be present? Everything that is running through your mind will still be there five minutes after that conversation, right? And I think that that was um, my understanding of how to show up in a conversation like nothing will change in the next five minutes with anything that I've been thinking my mind is full I'm I'm entering this conversation and five minutes from now it will still be there so how can I give my best self in the next five minutes um struggled with this when I started too because I I'm somebody like Christina where we always have like 10 things the next 10 things we're going to do in our heads and it really took some effort to leave that stuff at the door and be able to sit down with somebody and just be with them and not be making my grocery list in my head, not be thinking about what I, who I had to call as soon as I was done conversing. And, you know, in a weird way, it was, it was actually relaxing for me mm-hmm. to be able to just be present in that moment and just be listening to what they're saying. And it's, it's an amazing gift to give somebody to just be there and listen right? Without trying to fix, without trying to tell them what to do, but just be there and listen and, and truly showing them that you're listening. Um, going off of that, I think it's really easy for us to automatically judge others a lot of the time. So how do you keep from doing that, especially if maybe one of your team members messes up, like Christina was mentioning earlier? Yeah, you know, um, I would say asking open questions, open-ended questions um, is is helpful because, you know, we often say, I think Marcia said this earlier, that, you know, we are our experts on ourselves. So the person you're talking to is the expert on themselves. So being able to have 
an open-ended question um, versus a closed question that provides you a yes or, or no answer um, it is huge in terms of, uh, again, allowing people to feel seen, valued, and heard. It has to be a nice open question, though, not a question like, why were you such an idiot and didn't sign up for festival? <laughs> right? It has to be, like you said earlier, it's like, you know, tell me what was getting in your way. You must be really, really busy right now, right? It shows some compassion. It shows some understanding. And then you can move into problem solving. So what do you think is our next step? You know, what, what are our options at this point, right? And because um, I, I think, you know, I, I still do plenty of judgment, like somebody cuts me off in the car or something like that. Things that go through my head are not things I would want to come out of my mouth. But, um, but there's something about this practicing not judging people, like even if it's something that somebody says that doesn't sit right with your, your values, it's their truth. You know, and just being accepting of it's their truth somehow makes it, I don't know, easier to hear and, and makes it more, you're more able to validate where they're coming mm-hmm. from, even if it's not something you agree with. Um, you mentioned earlier avoiding fixing. Um, and so I think this really comes into play. Someone always has to take care of a problem, especially in a student organization, and it usually falls on leadership. So what is fixing and how do you keep from doing it when essentially the leader has to take the responsibility um, in an organization where there's trust and people get close and often share personal problems? It's really easy to just give people advice on how to fix something. So what do you all recommend? I think one of the easiest things that we do just as humans is we tell our own stories about how we solved something similar, right? Yet this person is an individual. They may not solve it in the same way. They might, you know, may not work for them to do it in the same way. And so making that assumption that the way we did it because it worked for us is going to be okay uh, with them is is an assumption that can kind of fall flat and it can make people feel kind of annoyed. Like I think about like going to the doctor's office and, you know, the doctor tells you, okay, you gotta lose 20 pounds. And then they say, you know, all you gotta do is start walking around the block, you know, just start walking every day. (laughs) Well, first of all, they don't know, number one, if you walk already, they don't know if you live in a neighborhood that's safe to walk in. They don't know if you can afford shoes that are good to walk in. They don't know if you've got kids at home that you can't leave alone. You know, so there's all these things that they're making assumptions about. And I think that fits in with fixing is, are these assumptions that we make about people and why things are happening in a certain way. You know, you just must not eat your five fruits and vegetables a day. Well, what if they do, right? We don't want to make assumptions. That, that people aren't behaving in the way that, quote, is the right way to behave. And we don't want to just tell people what to do because, number one, again, we don't like to have people tell us what to do. Nobody does. And number two, we probably have a better idea in our own brains about how to fix it than they do. Right. And I would, I, I would add number three is that, you know, most of the time we've already thought about half of the stuff that people are telling us to do. Yeah. Professor Ken Resnickhouse says, you know, your clients have already, well, 
he talks about clients, but you could say your, your students, your teammates, whoever, um, have already thought of and rejected what you have, what you have come up with. <laughs> Which I think is, you know, it's kind of a slap in the face and it's so true, right? It's like, duh, do you think I've been just sitting here not paying attention to what's going on in the world all this time? Well, if only you made a list, right? You know, especially when I think about organizations, we'll make a list, write it down, put it on your calendar, um, you know, get a study buddy. It's like, you don't think I've thought about that? There's a reason it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I know that Emily asked, um, you know, she asked us, what is fixing? Um, but Marsh, what else, what would we recommend on how to navigate that? Well, um, I think you had mentioned, you know, open questions to, to ask some questions about what's going on to understand it better. So you're hearing their story and, and knowing what their story is instead of thinking about your own. And then also, I think this is where reflections can really come in nicely, because instead of asking one question after another, to reflect what you think somebody's saying to you. Um, can really show that you're actively listening, that you're really paying attention, that you are present. And um, it can also allow them to say, yeah, that's exactly it. Or, or they might tweak it and say, well, sort of, it's also this too. And usually when you reflect something, if it's not correct, they just add extra information. So you get it corrected and nobody feels bad that you didn't get it absolutely right. And I think it's nice when you're, when you're reflecting too, not to just give a simple reflection back necessarily where you're saying exactly what they told you, but you might, you might add a little meaning to it. You might add a feeling to it. You know, you're, you're feeling really stuck right now. You're not sure what to do, right? And I think when you add a little something extra to what you hear, then people really feel yeah, like, like you're getting them. For example, if someone says my summer internship just got canceled and someone responds, well, at least you get the summer off, right? That might not, I mean, how does that make you feel, right? Take a minute and just, just think about that for a second. So someone says my summer internship just got canceled and my response is, well, at least you got your summer off. When we go back to the seen, valued, and heard, well, I don't feel very valued I didn't feel heard um and what would it what would it feel like if the response was you're worried you won't get another internship right so mm-hmm. and, and so I think that that's what we're talking about you know when we talk about reflections when we talk about providing feelings when we talk about open-ended questions really in essence is how how does the listener feel mm -hmm. so christina what would you say if i said you know i'm feel i'm just feeling really overwhelmed lately what would be a not so compassionate response for that a not so compassionate response well which is also i mean how to to help students think about this a little bit is is we've kind of been trained to respond in these ways, right? Um, they don't come as naturally, but if you said I'm not, what did you say? What was your thing? So if I say I'm, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed lately. A not so compassionate response could be, well, yeah, you and everyone else. Right, like kind of invalidating it in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
because it's like, yeah, you're not special, right? So right. if you were going to switch that and make it more compassionate, what would you say? I'd probably say you've got a lot going on and it can be tough to keep up. Yeah, that's that's nice. I think it feels different just hearing it. You know, you you gave a little extra meaning to a simple statement and it really provided the basis for further conversation. Right, right. From what you added. I think those were really helpful examples for even not even student leaders, just for everyone right now who is um, trying to get, yes, who's feeling overwhelmed. And if a friend comes up to you or a roommate comes in after first week of classes and saying, I'm feeling really overwhelmed lately, um, saying you've got a lot going on and it can be tough to keep up, um, can even just help Mm -hmm. a roommate relationship, not even just as a leader in a student org. Well, and Emily, I think you, you, thanks for, for reiterating that because the other piece to this is affirming, affirming people's effort and strength, especially in, in something like that. Well, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, right? And you keep working at it, right? You're, you're trying, you're not giving up. Um, it, it can go a long way to hear that when you're, when you are being super tough on yourself. Absolutely. I think about wellness coaching, which the three of us all do. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll give a, an affirmation to a student because I've heard some sort of strength. Or I've, I've heard some sort of effort that they've really put forth to try to move forward. And when I give it back to them, they're so shocked. And it makes me realize that we don't, we're not good as a culture in giving people affirmations. We're really good at pointing out the bad stuff all the time. And it's, it's deflating, right? I mean, and if you can affirm people and help them feel good about the things that they do well, they're just much, much more likely to be able to do more. You know, I, I just don't feel like people can change through shame and blame. You know, it's like they change because they feel like I'm, I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I can do this. Right. And, and affirmations are a nice way to kind of help people along as long as they're genuine, you know, they have to be really, you have to really be listening and what we call kind of mining for strengths and then feeding them back when we hear them. Um, I know a really common issue with University of Michigan students is they often have a lot going on. They're very involved in their academics, but they're also really involved in campus activities, being in multiple organizations, sometimes on multiple executive boards. Um, So if someone were to say to you, I've had a really hard time paying attention in club meetings lately. Um, I've only gone once or twice a month um, when they would usually be going weekly. What would maybe a not so compassionate versus a compassionate response be to that? I guess um, a not so compassionate response would be, you know, it'll pass, you'll be fine, just take it up a notch, right? Again, kind of invalidating where they're from, where they're coming from, not really responding to what they what you've heard. And a more compassionate response might be kind of flipping it around and saying, you know, it, it sounds like there were a couple times where you were able to engage successfully, you did show up. So what was different about those times? Mm-hmm. Right. So we're, we're reflecting something back and then we're also asking an open question about something that was positive that was going on. It also recognizes when 
things went well. Yeah. Right. So previous successes. Yeah. A previous success. So last time this worked, what did you do? Right. Um, Or last time you were able to um, manage your time, what did you notice that worked? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, again, you're pulling out their own wisdom, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're pulling out what they know about themselves. And that's going to be different from what you know about yourself. Um, I think another common issue students face as leaders in student orgs is um, trying to offer advice or give unsolicited advice. Um, And so thinking about offering advice with permission, sometimes in order to move forward and do work, we need to share information or offer advice. So how would you suggest to do that in a partnership? Yeah, so with motivational interviewing, we have a, a specific technique called ask, ask, offer, ask, um, or elicit, provide, elicit, sometimes you hear. And um, so the first thing we'd want to do is find out what does the person know about this to begin with, right? Because we don't want to just tell them a bunch of stuff that they already know, just like we talked about earlier. It's like, uh, duh, like I haven't been paying attention to that, right? Mm-hmm. So what we might do is is just say, okay, so what do you remember from training about the different tasks that, that um, are part of being a member of this group, right? And then let them tell you all the things that they remember because they might've forgotten something, right? Mm-hmm. And then if not everything is included, then the second step would be, would it be okay if I shared some more information on that? And I don't know, I think I've had one person say no in all these years of working here. <laughs> But, and if, if people say no, then you've got to listen to them and not share anything else. But typically there's, you know, they say yes. And then you share maybe three to five pieces of information that might be helpful to this. And then, so we're asking permission to share. So that's, that's a big piece of this, I think, because when you ask permission, people are much more likely to be kind of in partnership with you after you list those things. And you keep it short, like three to five things. You don't want to list off 10 things and you don't want to list off one. You list off 10 things, it's hard for people to keep track of. If you list off one, it's really easy for for people to say, ah, that won't work for me. Mm -hmm. If you have three to five, people have a choice, right? It's like, okay, I think I could do this or this, right? And then the next question, the next ask we're going to do is say, well, what do you think about what what I just shared and, and what you know? Like, what do you make of this stuff? And then they tell you, right? They'll tell you, yes, I think I can do this or, or here's something I haven't thought about before or maybe they add some extra things to the list at that point. But it's just a very, um, you know, you, you ask them, what do you know already? The second thing is you ask permission to share some more information. You provide offer, you know, three to five things that you wanna share in there. And then um, you offer three to five things that you might share. And then you ask him at the end, you know, what do you think? And that usually leads to a solution, uh, a solution that's not just telling them to do something, you know, something that they have some buy-in. Yeah. So I think that's all really helpful information. Um, Just to wrap it up, we are using these techniques to help leaders avoid burnout, 
feel good about the conversations they're having and others help others feel good about you and to problem solve without blaming um, or giving unsolicited advice. So if you'd like to learn more about motivational interviewing or want to learn more with your team, um, you can contact Marsha and Christina um, via Wolverine Wellness um, on the website or um, M-A-R-S-H-U-A at umich.edu or X-R-I-S-T-I-N-A at umich.edu. Um, we'll also be sharing some downloadable tools that you can use to practice or to share with your organization or team. So thank you, Marsha and Christina, for um, having this conversation today. Um, I think it was really helpful for student leaders and all students at U of M. Thank you all. This was fun. A very special thank you to our guests, Emily, Marsha, and Christina. While that's the end of this episode, your reflection on this topic doesn't have to stop here. Visit mlee.umich.edu slash breakaway. There, you will find more information on our guests as well as discussion questions about this topic for you to ponder on your own or discuss in a group. Make sure you check out our website for more episodes in this series and don't forget to leave feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. And finally, on behalf of the Michigan Leadership Collaborative, please take care of yourselves and thank you for listening.